Hello and welcome to the TID Water and Power Podcast. I'm your host, Constance Anderson, and on this month's episode, we're discussing the district's Power Control Center. TID's mission is to deliver safe and reliable irrigation water and power. And while all district departments are working towards this mission, there is one area of TID that is central to making these essential services happen, the Power Control Center. 24-7, 365, holidays and weekends, the Power Control Center is managing our local power grid, monitoring irrigation flows and more, ensuring reliability for our customers. And when an outage occurs, they're typically the first to respond to assist in restoration. On this episode, I'm joined by TID Power Control Center Department Manager, Adam Labuga, to discuss the role of the Power Control Center and its operators, the PCC's response in an outage, and how operations have changed with emerging technologies. Adam, thanks for joining us. Right on, Constance. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to finally join your podcast. Excellent. We've been looking forward to it. So if you would, um, start out uh, by giving us a little bit about your background with the district. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a Turlock boy, born and raised in Turlock, live in Turlock. All my family's still in Turlock. Um, I've always known about TID's reputation of the quality of jobs that they offer. And of course, like, hey, I want coming out of college, I want to get a good job, right? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I applied at TID three times before I was offered uh, a temporary position as an energy trader. Um, so my my journey is probably more unique than some of the other employees at TID. Start off as a temp. Nothing wrong with that. Had a college education, but no experience. Okay, great. That was October of 2012. Um, so obviously, I wanted to prove myself and become a full-time employee. And so finally, in uh, March of 2013, I was offered a full-time position um, in the energy trading division. So basically, buying and selling power. And was was up there for about a year and a half, in which I decided to take a different avenue to a different department. In January of 2015, I became an apprentice power control center operator. Um, so basically, got a job that I was doing nothing with my degree with. Um, <laughs> what was your degree in? My degree was in finance and and uh, MBA in business. Okay. So I mean, I'm kind of going into operations, doing nothing with money. And it was a whole new thing for me, um, but it's a great. It was a great, great uh, decision. You know, hindsight looking back, um, I enjoyed the energy trading division, but I enjoyed my department too. So January 2015 became an apprentice power control center operator. Um, so there's an apprenticeship associated with that, um, and eventually in January of 2018, I became a journey level operator, um, basically meaning that I was proficient to kind of make decisions about the assets and of the district. And, you know, I enjoyed, sure. I enjoyed being an operator, um, working nights, holidays, and weekends. Eventually I knew I, I wanted to get into the managerial side. So, uh, March of 2021, I was given an opportunity to become the power control center division manager. And most recently, uh, August of 2022, I was promoted to the uh, power control center department manager. So that's kind of my my journey here at DID. Oh, that's great. And I, you know, you mentioned that your the route in which you came to TID might be a little unusual, but I think you hit on something that we've heard from some of our other podcast guests is that the the position that you come into TID as isn't necessarily where you stay, that there's a lot of 
um, opportunity for movement within the district. And I think you're a, a great example of that. What I really want to emphasize is that uh, the idea is, is that I applied three times to get a position at TID. So anybody that gets declined that first time, well, try a couple times more and maybe you might find some luck. You may be the absolute best candidate, but sometimes those best candidates get lost in the cracks of the of the whole process. TID is a great job to have, um, and I'm very thankful for that. But whether or not I was in energy trading or in the power control center, you know, um, still feel really good about, you know, where I'm at today. All right. So throughout your time at the district, as we mentioned, you've held several different roles within the PCC. Um, but many of our listeners might not know what the what the PCC and by that I mean power control center, uh, what the PCC actually is. Can you give us kind of a brief overview of what the PCC is? The PCC is everything. Um, Power Control Center, we aren't, aren't necessarily experts on one particular thing, um, but we have our finger in almost everything that goes on at the district. Um, when somebody asks me like, well, hey, what do you do at TID? You know, I mean, what am I supposed to say? Hey, I'm a Power Control Center operator, or, you know, or hey, I'm, I, I'm a Power Control Center department manager. I'm a, a manager of this. What does that even mean? Right, right. <laughs> you know? Um, the way that I can explain it is the power control center operators are air traffic controllers for the electrical grid. Um, and that's an analogy that I've used pretty much my entire career as an, as an operator. People maybe have never seen what a air traffic control building or room looks like, but they kind of vision it, right? You're just sure. kind of routing, routing the planes and, you know, we're essentially routing the electricity and water so that it could be safely and reliably delivered to TID's customers. You know, the thing with that is, is uh, people turn their lights on at 2 p.m. They turn them on at 2, 2 a.m. With that being said, you know, the operators are there 24-7, 365 um, nights, holidays, weekends, you name it, they're there. And they're there to, to ensure that the grid is being operated, that water is being delivered, that customer service is being conducted, that security is being monitored. Um, and every other function, uh, <laughs> that, that will, I'm sure we'll go over. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to dig into each of these a little bit, a little bit deeper. You know, not to mention, you know, these functions that, that, that I just mentioned, we do that for TID service area. Um, but the operators also perform most of those same functions for Merced Irrigation District. It's not commonly known. Um, that we are the control room for Merced Irrigation District. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so as the grid operator for the district, and as you mentioned, uh, Merced Irrigation District, the PCC has a large role in outage response. Uh, when there's an outage somewhere in the district, what happens in the, in the power control center? What does that look like? Yeah, it could be anywhere from uh, complete and utter chaos to nothing goes on in there. For large outages... Uh, the control room or, you know, the, the power control center knows about them. For example, um, if a, a line coming out of a substation is fully, uh, fully does not have electricity on it, right? All the customers that are off of that line are out of power. Um, 99% of the time, the control room is going to know about it by getting a ton of alarms. Now, a ton, what is that? On average, we get about 1500 alarms per day. And we're, we're probably, wow. <laughs> and we're probably going to get, uh, maybe 10 to 15 alarms associated with that. 
So we, we kind of know when we have those big outages of 4,000 or 5,000 or 800 or 1,200 customers, however many customers are off of that particular line, um, we'll know about it. And so even with the large outages, ultimately, the goal is to restore power as safely and quickly a, a, as possible. So what does the control room do on those particular situations? We'll identify the area that is the uh, the problem area or, for example, a car that hit a pole right in that particular spot. Okay, now we need to um, coordinate with the uh, troubleshooter from the line department to isolate that particular area, meaning um, make sure that it's safe, uh, those types of things. And then... Um, Try to get the rest of the customers back in power by possibly rerouting some some you know some of the power. Um, so rather than have five thousand out, we're only going to have a hundred out because we're able to reroute power and get the other forty nine hundred back in. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is when there is a large outage like that, that you guys have the opportunity to reroute that power, restore as many customers as possible, and really isolate where the where the trouble issue is. For sure. Now. It sounds uh, the coordination involved with the control room and the line department is huge on those types of things. So we're not able to um, activate the, f- the field devices in the control room. We have to tell somebody to actually go out there and do it. So those guys are at home. Um, they need to get their uh, boots on. They need to get their, their truck up and running to get out to that location. So it may take some time um, before we're able to isolate the area and then uh, restore 4,900 customers and leave, you know, unfortunately, the, the hundred's going to be out. And for smaller outages, uh, for smaller outages, we may not know that customers are out of power. And so that's why we rely on the public to call into the control room. Oh, that's interesting. So if it's a large outage and many customers are out, like you said, you, we lose an entire line, that you're going to get the alarms on, you're going to know about that. But if it's a smaller outage, then you actually need our customers to call in and say, hey, I'm at this location and I'm out of power. Totally. We depend upon the customers uh, to to let us know if they're out of power. That's why if, if you're thinking like, oh, my uh, my power's out, I'll somebody will call in. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's only f- five customers that are in your neighborhood that are out of power and four of them are not home and you're the only one home. Nobody knows. Um, we won't know. And so that's why it's very... Um, it's very important that the public does call in when, when they are out of power. And if they hear a phone message that says, hey, if it's a large outage and you hear a phone message that says, hey, my area is out of power, well, then great. Then, you know, if not, then you have somebody to, to relay that information to. And hopefully we can dispatch someone out to that area and, and get you uh, get your power back as quickly as possible. And what is that outage number that folks should call if they experience an outage? Yeah, after hours, um, feel free to dial 209-883-8301 at any time to report any type of power outages or any type of electrical emergencies. Perfect. Thank you for that. Okay, so a a customer calls in to let let the power control center know that they are experiencing an outage and it happens to be part of a a smaller outage. Um, What happens then? Is it the similar process to what happens in a large outage? Very similar. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll forward that information to the, uh, the troubleshooter. And once, you know, they kind of go out there, assess it, maybe they can make some repairs to get those customers back in power. Maybe they cannot, maybe they need a, a, uh, specific line crew, uh, to, to be called in from home and to go do a, 
maybe a, a bigger job than one than you know than one troubleshooter could do. Um, in which they'll notify that to the control room, and and we'll end up dispatching that particular line crew to go out, you know, to that area, and they'll work hard to get those customers back as quickly as possible. Is there a difference in the process if, say, the outage occurs at twelve noon versus twelve midnight? Sure. So the way that um, we actually have a service division in which uh, seven a.m. to three thirty p.m. their job function is to facilitate no power calls and dispatch the troubleshooters. After 3.30, uh, their, day, their day is complete and the control room takes over that function. So basically 3.30 p.m. until uh, 7 a.m. the following day uh, is considered after hours and the control room will take care of those functions. Okay, so it really doesn't matter from the customer perspective, they just need to call in. And you guys have got it handled as far as who's taking that call on the on the TID side. Yeah, that's a very good point. Regardless of, if it's 12 noon or 12 midnight, um, give 883-8301 a call. If you're ever out of power, you have an electrical emergency. Awesome. And then where can customers go to find information on existing outages? Let's say they've called in, they've they've let you know that they're having an outage. Where can they go for for follow-up information on that? Yeah, you can say you don't want to call in. I don't like being on the phone. You could always hit uh, tid.org slash outages. The control room or the service division will keep those uh, outages on the website up to date as information flows in. Perfect. Thank you for that. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what the Power Control Center does, um, but it's actually a a physical location. Can you kind of create a a visual for us as to what the power control center looks like uh, from a physical standpoint? For sure, yeah. Um, The control room uh, is probably one of the, well, I don't know if I want to say the most important, but it's definitely a high-level security uh, place to to get into. Prior to the customer academy, uh, we've never had any of the public come into the control room. Um, it's a very secure facility because think of, you know, think about uh, the wrong person coming into the control room and taking down the electrical grid, um, taking down hospitals, uh, emergency services, street lights, all those kinds of things. So it's very, it's a very secure facility. It was built in 2018, and we uh, conducted parallel operations, meaning uh, we we basically started uh, operating out of the new control room in 2019. While still maintaining operations from the old control room. That's what you mean by parallel operations? Correct. Yeah, just to kind of make sure, iron the kinks out. We didn't want to fully go to a new thing um, without, you know, without testing it a little bit first, right? Sure, absolutely. So what what does the control room look like? So the control room uh, is a 3,000 square foot facility. And... It's got a massive video wall, 12 feet tall, 40 feet wide. Of that are several 80-inch panels that consist of this video wall. Um, we have five uh, 10-foot U-shaped consoles uh, that are height-adjustable and climate-controlled for each individual operator. Upon each console has 10 28-inch monitors coupled with a 48 inch TV that, you know, that we use for, you know, more awareness. Um, 
the facility's staffed 24-7. Like I said, like I previously mentioned, we're staffed 24-7, 365, all hours, minutes, seconds of the day. We have three operators on shift. Uh, we're conducting real-time operations. Um, when you when you turn that light on, um, the control room sees it. We have a training room. Um, the level of training that the operators need to need to go through is uh, systematic. It's standardized uh, specific requirements from the uh, governing bodies. So you you mentioned the, what sounds like this giant wall, video wall, giant wall of screens. What sort of things would your operators be seeing on these screens? Sure. So that's to give the whole room awareness as each operator has their own 10 plus one monitor console. The big awareness on the screen is um, cameras. You know, we we monitor security after hours. So we have cameras. Um, we have the weather channel up to, to monitor those types of things, especially during a big heat wave, a big storm. Um, on the main, uh, the main 20 foot by 12 foot wall consists of a, a summary of the whole entire grid in which the operators kind of use as a, as a barometer to see how well the grid's doing. Okay. Okay. And then I would imagine all this information is constantly updating around the clock. It updates every four seconds. Wow. Okay. Very good. That's a lot to, a lot to keep an eye on. Shout out to the EMS uh, division for making us, uh, for helping us out updating every four seconds. (laughs) (laughs) It's a team effort, isn't it? No doubt. (laughs) (laughs) The new PCC sounds like a pretty awesome space, but that wasn't always the case for the power control center. Can you tell us a little bit about what the old control room looked like? So from what we came from was a 1,200-square-foot facility um, that was built in the 70s. And just to date it, the walls were stained yellow from nicotine um, because back in the day, you could smoke cigarettes inside. Wow. (laughs) Uh, No joke. Um, The console itself was basically a lengthy, you know, banquet-style table in which we had um, six monitors on each, uh, you know, to mimic each desk. We still had three desks. Uh, it was very dated. So right now, the the distribution map, meaning the the map of the entire district that shows where every customer's power is coming from, uh, is electronic. It's on these big TVs that I described. Um, at the old control room, it was a twelve by thirty foot physical map. Um, in which you had to make adjustments uh, that was operated by hand, uh, meaning uh, if a line was out of service, you had to physically go up there, erase that line, and and conversely, if a line came back into service, you had to draw that line back in. Wow! Um, it's it's very uh, it's a relic to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like kind of a cross between like a giant whiteboard and a giant bulletin board. Yes, there you go. Need, needless to say, you're you're. New location is a bit of an upgrade um, from the old. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Which it should be reassuring for all of our customers in the area, knowing that we've uh, we've gotten a bit more sophisticated over the years. Yeah. Technology is only going to help improve um, delivering the water and power to our customers. Right on. So you gave us a high-level explanation of sort of some of the duties that happen inside the PCC, um, but I'd like to get into that a little bit deeper. Uh, what can you tell us about... Um, kind of the the different operations that happen inside the control room. 
Sure. The main mission for the department, right, is very similar to the district, and that's to safely and reliably deliver irrigation water and power to TID's customers. With that, we conduct power operations, and the power operations aspect is to solely make sure that the lights stay on for the district, for all the customers. You didn't see any rolling blackouts in the middle of September when some of the other utilities were possibly looking into that or possibly dealing with that. TID was very secure. And that's just a testament to the power operations of of the district, which includes distribution, transmission, generation. So power is just one facet of what the control room does, right? We, We also help facilitate irrigation water to TID's farmers. So that includes uh, monitoring the water and canal flows uh, from the from the upper system. We also, you know, dispatch crews. We're doing customer service. The same the same style of of the control room taking over for the service division at three thirty. Um, the control room takes over for customer service at five p.m. Also, so when when a customer calls in asking um, specific customer service type questions, whether it's uh, billing, new service. Um, I, I need to make some repairs, so I need you to come uh, uh, disconnect my meter, those types of things. Control room's fielding those calls also. So it's important to stay you know, professional and represent the district uh, very well. Um, we also talk about monitoring security alarms. So TID has tons of assets throughout uh, its footprint, right? Sure. Going to Patterson, going all the way to Don Pedro, all the way north to Tuolumne River, and all the way south to the Merced River. We keep an eye on those. Uh, we're here 24-7. Um, we keep an eye on any types of alarms that come in over there. Somebody steps foot in there, generally speaking, the control room knows about it. Not to mention, we have the the control room has the big picture of, of the district, uh, especially for other projects or things like that. The interdepartment communication and coordination is very key for the control room to to kind of spearhead that, you know, we have various departments and they're experts at their various departments. Like I said earlier, we're not experts at any of their departments, but we're experts at coordinating and making sure that the big picture is being seen. Again, kind of going back to that teamwork philosophy. For sure. For sure. A collaborative approach. And that's what we have to have in the control room. Absolutely. Um, So tell us about these people that work in the control room. We know that they're there 24 seven, 365, but uh, what does that setup look like? Yeah, some of the most highly skilled people in the world. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, no, there's a minimum of three operators on shift at all times. Okay. Like I mentioned, and they work nights, holidays, and weekends. Um, they work 12 hour shifts, a little bit more than 12 hour. They work 12.4 hour shifts, um, nights, holidays, and weekends. They're working from 5.36 p.m. until the following 6 a.m. Um, you're spending Christmas Eve, Christmas night, New Year's night, um, Thanksgiving. You know, you're having Thanksgiving dinner with the operators on your crew because three people have to be here 24-7 in order to help uh, respond to after-hours emergencies or even just basically the maintenance of the grid. Sure, Absolutely. So I, I want to double back to something really quickly because you mentioned that a typical shift may start at 5.36 p.m. and go until 6 a.m. That's kind of an unusual uh, an unusual shift start. Sure. Why, why is that? Well, it's kind of like uh, we mentioned uh, 10 monitors plus a big TV. Well, 
like everybody else, when you close your laptop and you bring it back up, it takes time to bring it up. Well, it takes time to bring up 11 different monitors. They each have a different kind of screen. Um, so technically, the operators are working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. That 24-minute overlap is what the control room or the industry calls a shift turnover. That's very similar to um, nurses do their turnovers. I'm sure uh, emergency services that work 24-7s, they also have their kinds of turnovers. It's basically for the shift turnover in which, hey, let's relay the pertinent information. Sometimes it's, it's very little. Sometimes it's a lot. And then, hey, let's work on getting uh, the 30 plus different softwares up that you need to operate the grid. Sure. So it's kind of that opportunity to debrief between shifts. Absolutely. That's that's a that's a great way to put it. The overlap also helps ensure that there's no lapse in operations. Okay. excellent. So what does it take to be an operator in the power control center? Yeah. What does it take? So there's a you know, there's a, a hiring process and all of our current operators have been internal candidates. So they've come from various, they were perhaps experts at their various jobs throughout the district. And they decided to um, make a career change and come into the control room. They start out as, uh, as an apprentice. So we have an apprenticeship that is uh, three and a half years long. It is seven, six month modules. Okay. The apprenticeship is very uh, in-depth, highly involved. Um, it consists of field visits. It consists of um, on-the-job training, checklists, skills demonstrations, a ton of different readings, various classes that you need to attend, a ton of training, right? Basically, a ton of training. And after each six-month module, the apprentice is subject to a written exam and an oral exam that is basically an oral interview that is conducted by myself, uh, the PCC division manager, the PCC trainer, and that apprentice's PCC shift supervisor. And we're just kind of asking questions that pertain to the job. So tell me how well you know your job, mm -hmm. right? That sounds like an intense training process. It's very intense, but like I said, it's a it's systematic and it's it's uh, specified in the requirements by the federal governing body for for you know electric the electrical industry. Okay, and I'm sorry. Remind us what that governing body is. That would be the uh, that was you know if you hear the acronym NERC, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. All right. So once you pass all of these all seven of these modules, then you are considered what? Yeah, once you pass all seven and you obtain your NERC certification, meaning that uh, meaning that that the governing body approves of you operating the electrical grid in a reliable fashion, um, then you become a journey level operator. And right. with that comes a little bit more responsibility, but it also comes a little bit more pay. <laughs> <laughs> It, it sounds like a, a big responsibility from no where doubt. I'm sitting. Absolutely. So you mentioned that uh, a lot of the operators currently in the PCC, if not all the operators in the PCC, have come from other departments uh, within TID, um, similar to how you got there. Uh, what departments are, are these folks coming from? Yeah, the control room is represented by a vast, diverse group of departments. So currently we have 16 operators. Um, some are apprentices, some are journey level operators, and some are shift supervisors of them. We have four from the trading and scheduling division. 
Uh, we have four from our power plants. We have four uh, from our water distribution uh, department. We have two that were substation techs. We have one from the service division, and we have one from the uh, metering division. Wow, that is a pretty diverse group. Yeah, very diverse. And I would imagine each of those people then brings their own background and, like you said, their own area of expertise and has that to apply to their experience as an operator. You got it. Awesome. Is it is it unusual that so many operators would come from inside TID? Is that unique for a utility to to promote from within like that? Probably. Probably. Um, but with... TID being a smaller utility, we wear every department, right? Wears a lot of different hats. And I think the knowledge that, that the internal candidates are bringing from wearing their own, their own hats within their departments um, gels well with our group that we have, right? They could bring their expertise of the water. There's not uh, many, many balancing authorities that uh, provide irrigation water in addition to um, retail electricity. That's a really good point. Absolutely. So we have, you know, we have operators from water. We have operators from electric. You know, some of the operators, they came from somewhere else before that, right? They, we have some that came from customer service that went to uh, water distribution that came here. We have some that came from a meter reader back in the day to water distribution to in here, you know, so they have very eclectic backgrounds. Yeah, everyone with their own journey. For sure, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that um, to become a journey level operator, you have to earn your uh, NERC certification. Um, what other sorts of certifications or, or trainings or um, uh, studies must our operators complete? So once, once an operator um, obtains their NERC certification, it's not like, hey, I'm done. I made it. I'm good. You know, it's not like that at all. In order to maintain that NERC certification, you have to uh, complete a minimum of 160 hours of continuing education hours every three years. So it sounds like, oh, I got three years. Sure. Go ahead and wait for that third year and try to get 160 hours in and train and do this and pass it and do all those kinds of things in addition to maintain, in addition to working your job. Right. So throughout the year, we have a, um, we have an excellent training program and not to mention uh, TID specifically uh, has been approved to provide those NERC continuing education hours in which we can conduct in-house training and still get credit for those towards the operator certification. Um, not every utility has the ability to do that. So we're very fortunate uh, that we can, we can, um, Submit a plan to NERC, they approve it, and then we get uh, the okay to conduct that specific training. And the operators get credit for it; they get hours for it. We we are collaborative in our training. We've invited several other departments over to, hey, come come take a look, come train. Let's do this. Let's you know, let's uh, help iron out some kinks. Um, you know that that interdepartment uh, relationship, right? Sure, makes the whole system run smoother. Yeah, a lot smoother. Very cool. So I understand that operations in the PCC are organized kind of around three desks. Can you tell us what each of those desks are? The three desks are, although they are differentiated between the dif uh, distribution, the interchange, and the balancing authority desk, it's a collaborative approach to the team. And if someone needs help on the distribution desk, then the interchange or the balancing authorities 
definitely helping out. So let's go, let's start with the distribution desk. What, what is the role of that desk and kind of what functions happen there? So the distribution desk is pretty much where all the apprentices, that's, that's where you're first going to start out at. And you're there for about a year. And it's a great opportunity then to learn the geography of the district. I came from energy trading. I mean, I have no clue about anything in a substation or anything like that. I had to learn it up real quick though, right? Sure. So the goal of the, of the distribution operator is to operate and monitor TID's electric distribution system via the energy management system. So what does that even mean? What is this <laughs> fancy technology stuff? Basically, if a customer looks outside and they see a wooden pole in a residential area, that's the distribution system. Uh, if they look at down in front of their driveway or big uh, metal doors on the in the ground that say TID on them, that's the distribution system. So we're monitoring that. Um, and that is at a specific voltage. That is at, you know, 12,000 volts. Um, so we're monitoring, right? We're making sure the customers stay in power. We're, we're fielding the customer calls to make sure everybody stays in power type of thing. And I would venture to say that most people at TID and most of the public feel like that's just the main job of the control room. Mm, okay. um, it's kind of like I had mentioned earlier, the public has never come into the control room. But not only that, there's plenty of TID employees that have never been able to access the control room. And it's not necessarily because we don't want them in there, right? I mean, sure. you know, love to love to show everybody around. Um, but it's just not that uh, feasible to bring, hey, let's have a show and tell type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. In addition to all of TID's uh, customers on the distribution system, those, those uh, green boxes or those those metal plates in the ground or those wooden poles that are in your residential area. The control room also monitors those same things for Merced Irrigation District. You know, we mentioned we're the control room for Merced. Um, we monitor uh, their distribution system also, and they have uh, they operate at a 12,000 and 21,000 volt system. So during the business day, um, and after hours, if a line crew is working or troubleshooters working, but mainly during the business day, um, you may see some, uh, some linemen, some line department trucks working, making repairs, maintenance, fixing things, uh, on the various wooden poles throughout the system, or even in your own residential, uh, residential neighborhood where there aren't any poles, but there's underground, uh, underground wires. So the distribution desk specifically is responsible for giving these linemen special protections and clearances to safely work on the distribution lines. So, so in short, they're going to communicate with the, the line workers and let them know, hey, this line is out of power. It's safe for you to do whatever maintenance or whatever work you need to do. It's possible that the line could be out of power, but it's also possible that the line department is working on a particular line that is not out of power. So it's even more important that we ensure their safety by, by um, providing these special protections for them to use their line, live line work methods to safely conduct the maintenance, safety, safely conduct the repairs, those types of things. Absolutely. Okay, great. So in addition to electricity, right? TID provides irrigation water. So the distribution desk, in addition to the electrical operations, also operates and monitors a portion of TID's upper water system. So we just wrapped up irrigation season a few weeks ago and... There's probably majority of TID's customers and employees that um, that it's unknown 
that the control room is monitoring and operating, you know, water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a control room. How are, you know, it's your grid operators. Why are you operating water? Um, why are you operating water? Uh, why are we operating water? Well, um, we are an irrigation district first, right? And so uh, the control room assists in bringing water down from the upper system so that the water distribution operators can take it over. So the distribution desk specifically assists in moving irrigation water from Sherlock Lake through Hickman and allows the water distribution team to take it in their various laterals to provide the farmers uh, with their particular irrigation demand. You mentioned our Hickman Small Hydro. Does the PCC operate and monitor any of TID's other small hydro plants? Yes. Throughout the upper system for TID, we have various smaller hydro plants that consist of maybe you know one to five megawatts. So specifically for the distribution desk, they're going to be operating the uh, smaller hydro generators at Turlock Lake when the elevation uh, warrants that. And they're also going to be operating the smaller generation out of, uh, out of Hickman. Not only do we operate these small hydro units for TID, but the control room, the distribution desk operates the, the uh, small hydro units for South San Joaquin Irrigation District, as well as Merced Irrigation District. So generating facilities such as Frankenheimer and Woodward, which are in Oakdale, uh, we we operate the generators, and South San Joaquin Irrigation District takes the water. Um, the electricity that's produced out of those generators goes directly onto PG&E's grid. So essentially, it looks something like this: um, the South San Joaquin Irrigation District uh, canal tender or water distribution operator. I'm not familiar with with um, their job title, but. Uh, their water distribution operator calls in and says, hey, I have my irrigation demand is 400, 400. And we say, okay, we'll go ahead and give you 400 out of, out of, you know, your system. And they, then they take it from there. Uh, the power that's generated eventually gets onto PG&E's grid. And the same goes for Merced Irrigation District. They tell us how much water they need. Uh, they call into the control room and say, hey, I need X amount of, you know, the unit of measure for the water that we use is CFS, at least in our specific area. Uh, hey, I need a thousand CFS and the control room adjusts the generators to make, to ensure that uh, the output is a thousand CFS. And then their distri- water distribution operators take the water from there into their various laterals and provide irrigation water to their customers. So three unique organizations, three unique systems TID, Merced Irrigation District, and South San Joaquin Irrigation District, three separate systems, but you guys are helping to operate each of those systems. Correct. Okay, that's that's a lot to keep track of. Lot to keep track of. Um, lots of, especially during the water season, it's a, it's a lot to manage. Sure. But the operators do a great job doing that. Absolutely. And, and let's, keep, let's keep rolling through the distribution desk. What else happens there? You know, we, we briefly touched on responding to customer calls after hours. So as I mentioned, after 3.30, we're receiving all calls that the service division would have uh, fielded. And after 5 p.m., the control room's fielding all customer calls. After 5 p.m., essentially, the control room is answering every single call that comes into TID. Um, and it could be anything from 
uh, hey, I'm out of power. Hey, I uh, uh, emergency services call and said, hey, a car hit a pole. Um, hey, somebody, I think somebody's stealing power. Um, any type of call, one of the operators in there has fielded everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, any kind of call you can imagine. Very similar to every everything else that I've mentioned. We do that same function for Merced Irrigation District as well. We take their customer calls, uh, their out of power calls, all those kinds of things. Uh, we respond. We respond to a monitor TID alarm. So essentially, if we get any kind of alarm out in the field, out in any one of TID's uh, assets, substations, or switchyards, uh, we're dispatching our security team. Um, they're kind of going out there to take a look, make sure everything's all good. And if if for whatever reason we need other personnel out there, then we'll give them a call too. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We provide weather data to them. Um, the energy imbalance market is a uh, is something big um, that the that the district uh, recently entered into. So essentially, it's a holistic approach to operating EIM, and the distribution desk is kind of like the second backup, if you will. Uh, we prepare prepare and conduct switching orders. During facility outage requests, it just means that, you know, we talked about those major, those big outages, those large, you know, the 5,000 customers that are out of power. So the control room, it's not just, okay, do that. Um, no, there's safety things involved. There's proper order. We're not trying to make, uh, make the problem worse. So essentially, uh, the operators will, will go through a step by step way of taking of isolating that particular area or taking this element out of service. Um, and the ultimate goal is to do things seamlessly where nobody's out of power, right? Sometimes we have to take a, a few customers out of power to get everybody back into power or, or those types of things. But the operators are essentially developing the plan and then forwarding that plan to the field personnel, whether it's the line department, the substations department, um, those kinds of things. What is a switching order? A switching order is essentially uh, a plan. Um, it's a step-by-step plan to remove a piece of equipment out of service or place a piece of equipment in service. Wow, that's a lot that's going on at the distribution desk for sure. So now let's move over to the balancing authority desk. Uh, but first, what is the responsibility of a balancing authority? Yeah, well, basically, the responsibility of a balancing authority is to meet the demand of TID's customers with some sort of supply on a second-by-second, moment-by-moment basis. Um, And we could do that with our own generation, or at times, we purchase power. Uh, the, The balancing authority desk is also responsible for meeting Merced Irrigation District's customer demand on that same moment-by-moment basis. So essentially, you're looking at Turlock Irrigation District and Merced Irrigation District as one one big uh, group together. And we have our demands and we have our supplies and they have to equal one another um, every second of every day. Okay. So does that mean that the TID balancing authority is separated from the rest of the grid? So no, we're not necessarily separated from the grid. we are our own little jurisdictional entity and everybody is tied with one another. The idea is, is that the sum is greater than the, than one, right? Uh, if you're out by yourself, how are you supposed to get help from anybody else when 
you don't have your own internal supply. So if your generators aren't working or anything like that, how are you supposed to get anything? For, how are you supposed to get help? Um, so the idea is the lines that TID has are eventually connected all the way up into Canada. They're eventually connecting all the way through to the eastern edge of Colorado. They're eventually connecting all the way down into Baja, California. And that's what comprises the Western interconnection. And what are some of the benefits of being a balancing authority? Some of the benefits are things that that we just kind of talked about. Um, we can dictate whether or not uh, we're going to have rolling blackouts for our customers. Um, we can utilize our generation um, to to create revenue, to provide affordability to TID's customers. And it sounds like that local control really gives us a lot of freedom in how we operate, how we make decisions. Is that yes, accurate? It gives a lot of freedom. It also um, increases the responsibility and the scrutinization though also. Sure, absolutely. All right, so back to the balancing authority desk. Uh, what is this desk responsible for? The balancing authority desk is commonly referred to as the transmission desk or the generation desk. Essentially, this desk is controlling the higher voltage lines now, higher voltage, if you look through the mountains or through the hills or you see these big, tall, metal, uh, lattice-type looking towers, that is a high voltage line, meaning greater than the, the wooden poles that you see in your residential neighborhood. So TID operates at 69,000 volts, 115,000 volts, and 230,000 volts. So when you refer to those higher voltages, you're talking about TID's transmission system. Correct. Talking about TID's transmission system. Um, just like with many other job duties, we operate Merced's uh, transmission system and also, which consists of the 115,000 volts. Because the, the criticality of operating uh, the, the BES or the bulk electric system, apprentices generally don't sit this desk until about a year into their apprenticeship. And even at that, they're still being monitored because they're not NERC certified to operate on the on the bulk electric system. And so their shift supervisor is, you know, kind of monitoring, you know, even closer. So I mentioned uh, transmission desk or the generator de generation desk. This particular desk operates uh, all of TID's thermal generation, uh, meaning the Walnut Energy Center, the almond power plants and the walnut gas turbines. So this desk also operates the larger hydroelectric uh, generators. So they're they're basically operating uh, Don Pedro, right? Um, that's our only major large gener hydroelectric generation in the district. So we talked about the the lower part of the upper system, if you will, on the distribution desk, um, meaning Turlock Lake and Hickman. This, the transmission generation balancing authority desk operates everything upstream of that. So this transmission desk is operating Don Pedro. We solely operate Don Pedro 99% of the time to facilitate irrigation demand and the Tuolumne River requirement. Okay. Many don't know TID and MID are responsible for the Tuolumne River flows and that's facilitated through the control room. The control room gets these specific river orders saying, hey, I need I need the river to be at this. And this is coming from the um, hydrology department. So the water flows from Dom Pedro to LaGrange to Dawson to Turlock Lake to Hickman. 
This particular desk, the, the balancing authority desk, is moving the water from Don Pedro. The water flows through the, the power plants and we get, and TID customers get the electricity off of that hydro generation. The water's still moving to LaGrange. Now at LaGrange, can go into the Tuolumne River or can go into TID's upper main canal. At this point, it's where the, the control room facilitates water out of LaGrange into the upper main canal system, which eventually flows through the system into Dawson, which makes its way into Turlock Lake, all through small hydroelectric generation. And then the distribution desk takes it out of Turlock Lake. So you mentioned getting uh, communications or orders from the hydrology department. What, what other departments is this desk in continuous communications with? A lot of different departments. So I'd say the main communication consists between uh, trading and scheduling division, um, definitely talking with the power plants, WEC, Almond, uh, Don Pedro, um, the small hydro technicians, because we're still operating from Don Pedro to LaGrange to Dawson on the transmission desk. So the, so LaGrange and Dawson are small hydro units in which, you know, we're communicating with them. The substations department, the line division, uh, electronics, tons of departments are, are the, the EMS department is, is very big. Um, there's a ton of different departments that this desk is kind of, um, talking with on a daily basis. Okay. Is there anything else we haven't mentioned yet that is a responsibility of the balancing authority desk or the transmission desk? I'm sure there's a, a ton of smaller things that the uh, transmission desk is, is performing. But one thing that sticks out is we have software that conducts contingency analysis studies uh, on a five minute basis. You know, what, it's fancy, what does that mean? Fancy terms, right? Um, basically, what it's saying is that, hey, giving you giving the operator awareness, situational awareness that says, hey, if you lose this transmission line, meaning if um, a bird gets into a specific line and causes it to uh, lose power, what is that going to do to your system? I mean, if I'm just sitting on the on the transmission desk without any of those types of tools, I'm saying, I don't know. Um, but this particular software um, is taking snapshots of the current state of the system and can is running all of these different contingencies that could happen and is spitting out these results saying, oh, you're good. Oh, nothing's going to happen. Um, oh, shoot. Hey, this is going to happen. Uh, you better start thinking about uh, things to, to mitigate that so that we can isolate the problem and not have a cascading event happen. Kind of like that domino effect, right? One domino goes down and keeps taking out the other ones. Sure. So it's kind of almost like what if scenarios. Totally and, and how is. would it's, you recover from that? Totally is what if scenarios. And it doesn't give you a solution though. Ah. It doesn't give you a solution. That's where the operator has to intervene and say, let me use my my experience, my intuition. Let me use my other tools to figure out on what my solution is. It's just letting you know you have a problem or you could potentially have a problem, right? Because it's it's running that what if scenario. Um, but it doesn't tell you what you need to do. Nope. You got to, the operator has to figure that you gotta out. Yeah, figure it out. Okay. So you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the distribution desk, that that desk is the second backup for EIM operations. So what can you tell us about the 
balancing authorities desk role in uh, EIM? Yeah, for sure. Um, the balancing authorities desk, the balancing authority desk is the primary operator of the energy imbalance market. And I'm and I'm going to put a plug in here that if anyone wants to find out more about the energy imbalance market, uh, they can check out episode 15 of our podcast where we spoke with TID's AGM of Power Supply, Dan Severson, about what EIM is and and how it relates to the district. But briefly, can you give us kind of an overview of what what EIM is? So prior to EIM, uh, TID bought and sold power on an hourly basis. So essentially, the the trading and scheduling division would would buy and sell some power uh, a few hours a few hours in advance from from the real time aspect, and it would come over to the to the control room on on where the generators kind of needed to be and and is very um very nonchalant as far as you know where the generators need to be. They just need to be online, and and the system kind of solved itself. So we bought and sold power on an hourly basis. That's kind of the the main the main thing here. Um, so then here comes EIM, and EIM was a great opportunity to generate additional revenue and you know establish additional trading partners for the district. So now with EIM, remember we operated we we bought and sold power on an hourly basis. Now with EIM, we're we're buying and selling power on a five and fifteen minute basis. EIM is basically trying to find the cheapest power for TID to satisfy its customer demand. Let me give you an example. So down in Arizona, uh, the sun is booming. Uh, they have a ton of solar generation down there. The supply is greater than the demand. So they have a ton of generation via solar. And as a balancing authority, right, you're supposed to equal your supply and your demand. Well, if your supply is super high, and your demand is average or lower, we have this excess generation. Well, what could you do? You could maybe lower your output of your gener- of your solar panels or your solar farm, right? Lower your output. That's kind of defeating the purpose of solar generation. You know, um, that was the old way. With EIM, we're, we're here in Turlock. They're down in Phoenix, okay? We're here in Turlock. Um, we have our thermal generators, okay? And they use natural gas, okay? Uh, natural gas costs money. So essentially with EIM, it's integrating the, the renewables, whether it's solar or wind, in order to help companies or utilities like TID to, hey, you know what? Um, I'm in Arizona. I have this excess solar. Hey, TID, you can um, reduce your uh, thermal generation output. Now, maybe that company isn't going to sell it to us for give us 20 bucks and the power. Maybe they're going to sell it to us for five bucks, but it's still uh, taking advantage of that renewable integration into the Western internet connection. So whether it's the wind in Montana or the solar down in Nevada or Arizona, EIM helps facilitate that, that five minute, that minute by minute type of um, output from those particular renewables. That's EIM. Can you give us a, a quick look at what that looks like? What what the process looked like prior to joining the EIM and what it looks like now? 
Um, TID joined in March of 2021, and essentially the way that the operators operated prior to March of 2021 is completely different of how they operate now. Equate it to uh, here in the U.S., we drive on the left side of the car. Try driving on the right side of the car and see how you do. Might need to get used to it for a little bit, right? And we did. And we did. We had our growing pains. And now uh, the control room, um, coupled with trading and scheduling, are doing a great job. And we, the way we got there was a lot of training and a lot of collaboration. We meet once a week with trading and scheduling for about two hours to go over whatever we need to go over. Awesome. Okay, so let's jump over to the third desk then, which is the interchange desk. What happens there? So the interchange desk is also known as the shift supervisor's desk. So the shift supervisors also wear a hat in addition to the supervision of the crew. So shift supervisors will solely sit the interchange desk during the business day, meaning Monday through Friday, their normal day shift of zero of 5.36 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, during the nights and weekends, the journey level operators uh, will be given an opportunity to sit that desk as well as uh, some stronger, some some more experienced apprentices. They have the opportunity to sit that desk just for cross training purposes. But essentially what the interchange desk is doing is is that it's monitoring, you know, TID's intertie stations. Well, what is an intertie station? Uh, intertie station is basically a point in which we're tied to the outside world. So we have our neighbors, like we have MID, we have uh, SMUD or uh, the Sacramento Municipal Utility District, or we have um, the California ISO. Maybe you've heard of them as the the grid operators of majority of California. So we're all tied, as we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, we're all tied through the Western Interconnection. Well, we're tied at specific points. So the interchange desk monitors uh, transmission essentially outside of TID's area. Uh, if there's anything going on, um, fires up in the north, uh, up at the the border, or these they're kind of monitoring that particular area. You know, um, an interesting an interesting uh, fact that maybe some know, maybe maybe some know, maybe some don't is that uh, back in the 90s, TID uh, made an investment into uh, some transmission that is at the California-Oregon border. In addition to that, we own a wind farm in Goldendale, Washington. So we're able to um, move some, we're able to uh, bring some wind generation down from Washington using those transmission rights that we, uh, that we procured uh, back in the 90s, TID is tied to the outside world uh, through our Oakdale switchyard, through our Walnut switchyard, and through our Wesley switchyard. So essentially, power flows in and out of TID through those particular, you know, those particular points. Um, so every every hour, this interchange desk uh, performs what you know performs these uh, checkouts. So what? So what does a, a checkout even mean? So a checkout is essentially uh, the accounting aspect to how the megawatts really really flowed. So Constance, you and I we did a deal, and I sold you a hundred megawatts. Okay, and the way that I can equate it is, and like I said, I'm not a uh, a physics major by any means, 
but electrons move in the path of least resistance. They're going to, the electrons want to go to wherever the demand is. Okay. We did a deal for a hundred megawatts. And when at these various intertype points, we have meters that show just like you have a meter at your house, you know, the little round circle outside, maybe by your garage or what have you goes through these meters. And it says, Hey, Constance, you actually, you, you bought a hundred, but actually you only got 98 of those megawatts. Okay. So would you want to pay for a hundred megawatts or would you only want to pay for 98? Probably only want to pay for 98. I only want to pay for what I got. Sure. And so that's what, that's what the control room is doing by these checkouts. It's summing up how much of the, the deal actually got into TID system at those various intertype points. And we do that with our neighbors. We do that with the California ISO. And we do that with SMUD or the Balancing Authority of Northern California Bank. Um, and we're doing that on an hourly basis. So 12 times a day, 12 times a shift, 24 times a day. Um, we're, do, we're performing those particular checkouts. When the interchange desk is performing these checkouts, then what, what TID department are they working with to, uh, to do this true up work? So the control room performs the accounting aspect for the checkouts on an hourly basis. And that information gets forwarded to our energy settlements department in which, you know, they cut the check or they get a check. I'm not sure, uh, you know, depending upon if, if we bought or sold megawatts. So you guys, you guys confirm the receipt or, uh, the transmission of the megawatts for what, what was truly received or sent out. And then the settlements team kind of picks it up from there and handles the accounting side That's of it. exactly it, Constance. Okay, great. So they're also maintaining situational awareness over the balancing authority desk and the distribution desk. So they're helping out where they can. They're essentially the backup to EIM. So if that balancing authority uh, operator needs to go cook some food, uh, needs to uh, talk to their spouse, um, any of those types of things, step away from their desk for whatever reason. Well, the the interchange desk or shift supervisor desk needs to be on point with, with uh, you know, the operations. All right. So we've covered the three desks and the multitude of duties that, uh, that lie within each of those desks. What are some other roles of the power control center in general? Yeah, some other roles. I mean, uh, the power control center department consists of the operators, but it also consists of um, outage coordination and and PCC training. So outage coordination is exactly what it sounds. It's coordinating all of the outages throughout the district that are going to affect um, reliable operations of the control room. And and to clarify here, we're not talking about the car versus pole unplanned outage. We're talking about outages that we know the district needs to take for various reasons. Correct. Outages that need to occur for maintenance or for, for testing, for inspections, for any type of thing that uh, that is something that is planned, that is foreseen, that is not forced or on an emergency basis. Any type of outage that is foreseen needs to get funneled through the Power Control Center Department in which we have the big picture of all the outages that, that, uh, that all the various departments um, need, you know, um, so we're kind of facilitating where it's going to be con- most feasible to conduct these outages in a reliable fashion. Cause ultimately we still want to make sure that we're providing water and power to the customers. You wouldn't take the Walnut energy center out of production in the height of summer. Correct. Correct. We actually have a, um, 
a policy that we pretty much limit planned outages anytime from May till about October. Um, that makes sense when our, our uh, load is typically less than in the height of summer. Yep. Got yep. it. Yep. Makes sense. And then we also have the training aspect. We have a PCC trainer because of the necessity to adhere to the NERC requirements. And in addition to keeping the operators up to speed on the changing industry, we have operators that have 15 years of experience or more. Come March 2021, that experience wasn't for naught, but they had to learn basically all a whole new way to operate because of the, you know, due to the energy imbalance market, right? Okay. So we, as you mentioned, there were new processes and procedures that came along with TID joining the the EIM. And I think that's kind of a, a constant with TID is that we're always going to keep advancing. We're always going to keep looking for new innovations to to meet future challenges. What are some of the challenges that the PCC is going to be navigating either now or in the near future? Uh, yeah. Challenges are, you know, the the energy industry is always uh, is always evolving. Even from when I got in the control room in 2015, things have changed, right? Um, we just hit our all-time peak high of 735 megawatts on September 6th of, of this year. You know, I mean, it's no secret. It was super hot that day, right? Um, everybody got that text message that said, um, hey, help, help conserve or your power is going to go out. Well, that may have been uh, that may have been the sentiment for the rest of the state, but for TID, there was never a concern in which we we're going to be losing our customers. Now we have localized outages, right? Um, hey, it's that hot. We have equipment that that doesn't like the heat. You know, things happen, right? Cars that hit poles or whatever. Um, matter of fact, we we're helping out the state uh, in a, as best well as we could. You know, given given the amount of generation that we had. You know, what are some other things that kind of you know. Keep me up at night, I guess. Um, I think the state has some lofty goals in which uh, TID has to be uh, compliant with. Um, we're talking renewable generation, 100% carbon-free by 2045. Um, I'm not sure how to... That just basically means solar batteries and wind by 2045. Well, we have a lot of natural gas that we depend upon. Natural gas generation, not to mention... That natural gas generation provides uh, the voltage support needed to move the megawatts from one place to another. Maybe this doesn't necessarily fall in my scope, but it definitely is something that's on our radar. And that's um, the no sale of gas vehicles, you know, electric vehicles in every home. You know, that's going to if we just had an all time peak of 735 megawatts, well, what's going to be our all time peak in 2030? Right. That's only going to drive that load higher. You're going to drive that load higher. And how do you plan for that? You know, thankfully, I'm not planning, <laughs> <laughs> but but we're the end user of of planning. Right. We're the the real time where the rubber meets the road and um, give us the plan. Uh, but that's what it is. Right. It's a plan. So things change sometimes. Right. Um, also, there's a ton of institutional knowledge within the control room in any field. The loss of uh, a lot of experience. Um it takes time to recover from that. You know, um, the control room job, the PCC operator position, it's a three and a half year apprenticeship. Okay. Well, does that mean at the end of three and a half years, you become a journey level operator and you know everything? I can tell you right now. I mean, I've been at the control room uh, almost eight years now. 
I definitely don't know everything. And I'm here Monday through Friday, every day, seeing all the different stuff. Okay. These guys, the operators working nights, holidays, and weekends, you know, they're working uh, seven day shifts, seven night shifts, and a training week every five weeks. So um, they're not seeing everything, you know? So the, the institutional knowledge that's going to be lost is um, definitely concerning. And it's, it'll be nice to get some of, some of our newer apprentices up to speed. Um, but it just takes years. That's just what it is. It just takes years. Sure. And not everything can be taught in training. As you mentioned, you kind of have to see it. You have to experience it. Um, a lot of on-the-job learning. And that's exactly how it is with, these, with the control room. It's very similar to other, um, other technical jobs here at the district, right? Uh, we can name off plenty of departments that have apprenticeships and things like that. And it takes years to learn how to drive. Okay, wow. So there's clearly a lot that is happening inside the, the power control center. Is there anything else we haven't touched on yet that, uh, that you wanted to make mention of? You know, just want to want to thank you, Constance, for uh, giving me the opportunity to um, to do a podcast. Um, I've had several of my my colleagues or friends. Hey, man, when are you going to do a podcast? But I um, I enjoy talking about the control room. I'm very proud of the control room. Very proud of the job that we provide for the district and its customers. Um, it's not an easy job to do. Um, but the group of people that we have in the control room right now and the uh, culture that we're trying to foster is, is on the up and up. And I'm very thankful for that. So I'm glad you can uh, give me some time to put the power control center in the spotlight and, you know, in a positive light. Awesome. Well, as a TID customer and TID employee, I'm certainly glad to have you guys in the control room doing what you do. So appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the TID Water and Power Podcast. You can find TID on Facebook at facebook.com slash TurlockID, on Instagram and Twitter at TurlockID, and on LinkedIn as the Turlock Irrigation District. I'm your host, Constance Anderson. We'll see you again next time.